You're listening to Podcateers. Welcome to episode 237 of Podcateers. Happy New Year, everybody. In this episode, our buddy Skylar from the Diz Insider joins us to do a walkthrough of the Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars films coming in 2019. We also check in to see how we did on our 2018 resolutions. We talk about the Disney Parks Christmas Morning Special, which included new footage of the attractions coming to Galaxy's Edge. You can check out videos for most of the films that we talk about, including the Galaxy's Edge preview in the blog post for this episode, or you can even join the conversation by leaving a comment over at podcateers.com slash 237. You can also connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. Just search for Podcateers. Before we start the episode, a shout out and thanks goes out to the members of the FGP squad because we appreciate their help and support in helping make these episodes possible via their contributions on Patreon. For more info on how you can become one of our podcast fairy godparents, head on over to podcateers.com FGP. Next week, you'll start to hear about some of the new stuff you can expect to hear on the podcast going forward. We're super excited to share some of this info with you, so stay tuned. Thank you all for an amazing 2018. Your love, support, and generosity was beyond what we expected, and we appreciate that you allow us to be a part of your life every week. So once again, Happy New Year. This is episode 237 of Podcateers. How's the prison of Windows 10 working out for you? Oh, it's fantastic. Uh-huh. Fantastic. Right no before complaints. I called Skyler, uh, we had a, we had an incident where Windows decided to do an update. I love, I love when my computer tells me when to update and then just applies it without asking. Yeah. It, oh. It's in charge. You're no longer in charge. Your computer's yeah. in charge. And my computer has crashed three times this last year because of those forced updates. The first mm-hmm. one, like, it literally broke my computer where I had to basically start from scratch. It was so I bad. I remember when that happened. That sucks. We survived. Or you survived. I know. I know. And <laughs> it took me, what, about a week or so to get everything yeah. working again? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> last week we recorded on Christmas Eve Eve. Now it's <laughs> New Year's Eve Eve. And we have a very special guest with us today. We have our good buddy, Skylar. Skylar, what's up, man? What's going on, guys? It's a pleasure to be back. Uh, thank you guys so much for making room for me. Heck yeah. Of course, man. <laughs> Anytime. Welcome. For those that are not familiar, Skylar is the editor-in-chief and the mastermind behind the Diz Insider. Tell us a little bit about the Diz Insider for those that have not been initiated. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, So for those of you that have been following me for a long time, Gav and Melissa, I know you guys have as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. I started out as Disney Film Facts. I started it basically just as a way to kind of share my knowledge of, you know, Disney films and my love for Disney films. And, uh, you know, as time progressed, I I remember I tell this story all the time that back in 2012, the first image of Angelina Jolie as Maleficent was uh, debuted. And I posted it you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a film fact. It was just an image of Angelina Jolie and someone had messaged me going, Hey, why don't you do a little more Disney news? We had no idea this movie was coming out. And it's, it was kind of weird to me because there is movie outlets out there promoting this stuff. So, you know, I started posting more news and 
bought the domain DisneyFilmFacts.com, uh, you know, started, you know, writing, which was kind of brand new to me, uh, met some great people, opened some awesome doors. And after, you know, four or five years of being called Disney Film Facts, just to kind of break away from the Disney in my name kind of idea, mm-hmm. I was like, it's time to change the name. If I want to be an entertainment website, but still promote Disney, I got to change it. And the Diz Insider was born and you know, it's been great. It's opened up a, a lot of great doors and I've made a lot of good friends, you know, running the account, you know, such as, you know, yourself at the Podgeteers, Gavin, uh, Melissa, both of you with your with your shops and your art, which is amazing. Um, Thank you. It's, you know, it was great to, you know, meet some new people and make some new friends. And, you know, it's been amazing ever since. And, you know, it's it's growing. And uh, for those who haven't checked out the website, you know, I do my best to make sure it's the latest greatest you know breaking disney news site out there so it's it's a lot of fun and you've been doing such a great job with it man like i've just seen the growth over the last year and i just have been super impressed with all the work that you've funneled into it so first of all congratulations on all the growth this year you know 2019 is gonna be just one of those breakout years for you and i'm just super excited for everything that's coming Thank you. I hope so. We'll we'll see. There's a lot of there's a lot of cool things in the works for the site. Um, you know, a lot of new content. I have you know a nice little writing staff on my team uh, on the site actually. And twenty nineteen is going to be a lot of fun. I've I've gotten to do a lot of things in twenty eighteen thanks to the site. You know, I've been to a lot of screenings on the Disney lot. Uh, you know, kind of helping promote the Disney company and what they have coming out. So it's a lot of fun. I'm excited to see what a uh, twenty nineteen brings us. Right on, That's man. awesome. It's awesome. So would you say that at the beginning of the year, the growth that you've seen come to the Diz Insider was one of your resolutions? Or did you have any other Disney resolutions that you wanted to employ over the year? And how did you do? Yeah, in all honesty, I'm very critical of myself. I still think there's a lot of work to be done for you know the site. But at the beginning of the year, my main kind of goal was to change the name but kind of keep the same principles of what I started when I originally created the site. Um, you know, tr- do my best to, you know, post facts for the people that enjoy the facts, but keep everyone up to date on Disney movie news. And, you know, it's my resolution was to kind of just rebrand, make it look nice, keep it professional um, and kind of grow from there. And I have seen it steadily grow. Um, you know, we've we post the, some great editorials on the site. We've seen this th- this year alone. We've had five hundred thousand uh, viewers on the site, which is fantastic for us. Um, and wow. it hits a million next year. Um, oh, we're getting you know we're getting new followers every day, and it's a lot of fun. And can't wait to see where it goes. And thank you also for all of your movie reviews that you've had a chance to post on Podcasters.com as well. You know, some of those movies that come out, you're the first one to watch them before any of us. Because if it's Marvel, Gavin's like, it's Marvel. I'm not going to go watch that. (laughs) And then I'm like, oh, no, is it on Redbox yet? And usually the answer is (laughs) no. Melissa and Gavin, I think, fill in that gap of, you know, who watches the films first these days. I finally had a chance to see (laughs) Into the Spider-Verse a couple of days ago. (laughs) Mind blown as a fan of you know disney animation 
It is the best animated film of the year. Quite yes. possibly one of the top five of the year when you're thinking about just overall films. Like you're you're seeing movies like, you know, First Man, Bohemian Rhapsody getting all this Oscar buzz. But people are now starting to see this animated film uh, doing it in such a unique way, mm-hmm. um, getting all this buzz. And it's so well deserved because it's a fresh take on the Spider-Man character and the universe in which she lives in. I mean, totally. when Gavin started talking about it last week... He gave it this praise that, one, I've never heard Gavin give before to a film because, quite frankly, like, he's all about the animation and he's hardcore, like, Disney, Pixar, and we know how good they are at what they do. But the way that he praised this film, I thought, man, I I mean, I've kind of seen the commercials, like, I kind of have an idea what I'm getting into. But once I sat down and started watching, I had two complaints overall. One, the film was too short. (laughs) Uh, my second complaint was that the film wasn't long enough. (laughs) So, I mean, take that for what it's worth. Basically, you just wanted more. Oh my God, you don't know. Did did you stay for the after credits scene? Yes, I did. It was (laughs) classic. I loved how they did that. Uh, Stanley's cameo, in a way, kind of broke my heart because of what he said and just how they executed that scene. Man, just the halftone printing style that they implemented to these 3D models where you Mm -hmm. can see all of the dots the way that you would in a comic book. And then the way that they separated the colors just slightly so that it looked like pressed out pages from a comic book. I just, ah, like the whole time there was certain scenes that just looked super realistic. And then you kind of saw these halftone print styles all over their faces. I love the way that they, instead of using full-blown lighting to do contouring and to do uh, sculpting, they use physical lines in the facial structures. Oh, so gorgeous. I had walked out of it and I, I had told myself that was the most unique way to animate a film since the Peanuts movie back in 2015. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. It, 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 uh, I mean, I can't even find the words at this point. And they're doing more. So we're going to get more of these movies. Yeah, that's what yeah, I'm looking forward it's, to. It's really exciting. I, I, I really hope that it gives more of the major studios out there. It kind of makes them feel like they now have permission to do superheroes animated because I feel like there's been this sense of, well, we can't really do a cartoon because then a lot of grownups won't go see it. But a movie like this hopefully will kind of open that door because it has mass broad appeal and you're not going to leave out all those hardcore superhero movie fans, I don't think, because it's it's right. so well done. And it, man, yeah, I couldn't say enough good things about it. I, I just think it's really great. I think that domestically, it's a step forward. I feel like there are some other studios internationally that have been pushing the boundaries of inter, of animation in this way. Sure. Uh, you know, and I think that because of the trendsetters being Disney and Pixar, everybody's kind of chasing after that path here. And it's nice to see a domestic studio really broaden their uh, horizons and really push the realm of expression in the in the world of animation. And yeah, man, go see that movie if you haven't seen it. Have you seen it, Melissa? Not yet. Go see that movie. Like I know. Right after this podcast. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to run right after. Yep. You're going to have to now. I'll pitch in for your ticket. Let's do it. Ooh, <laughs> you heard it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, two last things on it. 
one, the biggest worry that I have is, like you said, Gavin, I hope this gives, you know, just to quote you, I hope this does give studios the permission to go out and explore and do something a little bit different. But it is going to leave the door open for horrible copycats. Sure. There are going to be those that are never going to strike the same as this did. When I walked out, I watched it with my boys. And for the most part, whenever they watch an animated film, they stand up, they walk around, they do other stuff. When we're at the movies, they kind of fidget all you know around in their seat and they kind of ask for food. They ask for soda. They ask for... We walked into this one for an early showing. I think it was like 10 a.m. showing. And we walked in with no soda, no popcorn. We just sat down glued to the entire film they didn't turn around to ask me questions they were watching the whole time at the end there was one gag involving a shoulder that my youngest was like hey dad and then he was quoting the film and i thought it was hilarious (laughs) Uh, so it, it really the age range that this film hits is is amazing because if it was able to captivate my five-year-old the same that it captivated all of the adults they did something right and when i walked out all i remember thinking was this is how my brain reads a graphic novel mm-hmm. you know if that makes any sense to you like it felt yeah. like i was reading a graphic novel and the way that things were presented to me is the way that i see things in my brain so in case you guys want to know what my brain looks like when i'm reading a graphic novel just watch into the spider verse that's a really there great representation right. <laughs> it's a little chaotic but hey it works out overall yeah, and I've always said that... Hazen's crazy, I know. Well, no, well, that, <laughs> among other things. But I've always said that I feel like superheroes in particular make so much more sense in, in film and TV when they're animated mm-hmm. than they do live action. You know, you really have to be careful not to cross over that line of becoming hokey or cheesy or corny, which, you know, unfortunately, they often do in my mind. And that's why I like animated films like this better. And I feel like specifically with some of the insane action sequences in this movie, you know, when they try to pull off really crazy action in live action superheroes, you know, they have to employ the CG and you have those moments where, you know, it doesn't quite look natural. It doesn't quite look right. And with animated, you never have that visual problem. You know, it all looks right because it's meant to be that way. Right. So I don't know. I feel like that's the perfect vehicle if we're going to move comic books onto the screen is animation. And I hope we get much more of it. I think really the MCU is the one that's gotten it right for a really long span of time. Uh, I think another franchise that really got it right was the Dark Knight series. You know, that was, I'm not a huge Batman fan, but I think Chris Nolan's Dark Knight series was one of the best interpretations of Batman ever. And I know that there's like huge Michael Keaton fans out there, but I watched that one and I just think it's hokey. You know, there's a lot of hokiness and a lot of campiness to it, which I get. You know, the original Batman series was kind of campy and hokey and people liked it. The difference was that the Michael Keaton version was just darker. Removed from that hokiness, really, the MCU was the first one to kind of accidentally fall into it because of the way that they were producing the movies. Because I, I think they knew what Jon Favreau wanted to do with Iron Man. I just don't 
think they understood what was going to come over 10 years. Like maybe they had like one or two films kind of plotted out, but I don't think they really saw what was going to come over the, the next decade. Yeah. And this was four years before Disney even made the purchase for, you know, Marvel. Right. Characters mm-hmm. Back, so. Mm-hmm. so, yeah, I mean, we've, the conversations about Spider-Man are great. You know, Albert from the FGP squad sent us a message on Twitter. He says, I wholeheartedly agree with Gavin. Uh, his thoughts about Into the Spider-Verse, the mix of animation <laughs> styles, and the strong story make this one of the best superhero movies of all time. It's also very accessible for anyone not familiar with Miles Morales' Spider-Man. Great. Yeah, I can't say enough great things about it. I don't usually walk out of a film thinking, oh, man, I got to go watch this again in the theater. This is one of those exceptions. And I've seen a lot of Marvel films that I absolutely loved and didn't feel like that. That's saying a lot for me. I'm willing to go pay again at the movie theater. So those of you listening that don't know, I'm not big on that. (laughs) I usually wait for the red box. (laughs) Uh, so we kind of veered off, but we were talking about resolutions that we had in 2018, and we were just kind of following up to see if we, you know, did anything about them. So Skyler talked a little bit about his his rebranding and what he's done with the Diz Insider. Mel, do you do you recall what any of your resolutions were? Yeah, and I failed miserably. <laughs> I didn't even get to do any of them. What were your <laughs> resolutions? Um, the first one was actually to have dinner at Carthay, but at the balcony. Ah, yes, mm-hmm. I remember. Didn't happen. <laughs> It'll happen. It, it will. I, I'm gonna. You know what? We'll, we'll see next year. We'll we'll try. We'll go for it. But um, the second one was to try a turkey leg. Mm-hmm. Did not happen. I remember you were gonna buy me a turkey leg. Yeah, we were supposed to vlog. Yeah, didn't yeah. Didn't happen. So <laughs> I think that's on both of us. The onus is on both of us for that one. So (laughs) let's just kind of recycle that one for 2019. Sure. And then we'll go for it then. (laughs) Not a big deal. (laughs) Gavin, what about your resolutions? Yeah, so I had three and I feel like I succeeded with one and failed with two. So one was kind of like a half fail. But anyway, so like the first one was I determined to give the Disney live-action remake films a chance in 2018. Yes. And I feel like I did that. I watched three of them um, and tried to be as objective as I could be. None of them really made me fall in love. I, you know, I enjoyed some of them to varying degrees, um, but I'm still not 100% sold on, you know, getting behind them and getting really excited about them. But we have a whole new wave coming out in the first half of 2019. So I'll probably have to reboot that resolution and, you know, give them all a second (laughs) chance. And, you know, like I said earlier on an episode, I'll be there. I'll see him in the theater. (laughs) I just I I can't get myself excited about them yet. So I'm waiting for them to really knock my socks off and give me a reason to, uh, you know, get up for these. Uh, My other two were I wanted to participate in a Dapper Day and... This is before I moved here. Charlie and I came out here on a vacation in April, and we intended to participate in Dapper Day. We were here on Dapper Day. We brought our outfits. We got to the parks, and we bailed. We just totally didn't dress up because we didn't want to worry about it. We just wanted to go to the park and have fun. So uh, we did not fulfill that one. 
And then my last one, I totally could have done if I wanted to, or if I really remembered and like put my mind to it. And that was to ride all of the attractions in the parks that I hadn't ridden before. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't. I totally could have though. I, I just... I just didn't do it. Yeah, I mean, I know how you feel because I think one of mine had to do with some of the attractions as mm-hmm. well yeah. where I, I wanted to make sure that I rode on attractions that I hadn't been on in a long time and also ride things that I knew that I've never been on or do things mm-hmm. I thought or couldn't remember ever doing, like drawing at the Animation Academy, for instance. Right. Didn't happen. <laughs> uh, Frozen the musical didn't happen. Oh no, you should see oh. it. California Screamin' I think was on the list of I hadn't been mm-hmm. on it in a really long time. That one I did fulfill because I ended nice. up vlogging on the final day that uh, oh, it was right. open before they shut it down to convert it into mm-hmm. the Incredicoaster. And as part of the never been on it before, I rode the Incredicoaster the, the opening weekend. So, I mean, nice. I'm going to count that one towards it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a partial win. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I didn't get a chance to do all of the other like little attractions that I hadn't really been mm-hmm. on. I Remember going on Goofy Sky School, which I hadn't for some odd reason. I think I went on it with VJ early on in the year at some point. Um, hadn't been on the Zephyr in a long time, and I still haven't been on it because I just don't see the point. Uh, Silly Symphony <laughs> Swings is one that I've been wanting to get on because I, I remember talking about how I hadn't been on it since they rebranded it. Uh, all I remember is the big orange from before, and that was the last Whoa. time I wrote it. Uh, So there was a few of those that I didn't get a chance to do. And then my other resolution was to read more Disney books. I mean, I wanted to try to enrich myself by reading more Disney books. That one I did get a chance to really chip away at. Because I had a chance to read Mark Davis, Walt Disney's Renaissance Man, which was a a phenomenal book. It was just absolutely fantastic. Uh, It's not quite fully a disney book but i'm gonna count it i read through gravity falls journal three and Ah, i mean i had a lot of fun doing it so i'm gonna count it towards that goal i also read dream it do it by marty sklar and uh i got almost all the way through one little spark i think i'm like two chapters away from finishing but i haven't fully finished it yet and there was a couple of others just um some stuff by Dave Smith, you know, some archive stuff that I've leafed through. I didn't fully read through the whole thing, but just kind of leafed through them. And yeah, so that one, I, I want to say I was, I don't know, maybe like 90% through the whole thing. So we'll I think that one you. I did yeah. a pretty good job of. But I think that one's one that I want to renew. I think in 2019, sure. I definitely want to read more Disney books, you know, just keep diving into it because the more that I learn, the more I'm fascinated with everything that goes on behind the scenes and everything that went on to build, you know, the parks and the studios and all the good and the bad, you know, because I think there's a lot of podcasts and a lot of people that talk about Disney in in a very positive light, you know, because I think we love the Disney company, but you can't succeed without failing, you know, and there was a lot of failures along the way that the Disney company saw that, you know, they may not want to talk about because they just want to move on. But historically, they exist, you know, but I think overall, they've learned from a lot of those mistakes, just like we try to learn from the mistakes that, you know, that we make whenever we're trying to grow. And, you know, you move on. It's one of Walt's things, you know, you keep moving forward. 
you know that's that's how you grow so yeah i mean if any of you listening have any resolutions for 2019 we'd love to hear them join the conversation over on facebook instagram or on twitter just search for podcasters you can also leave a comment in the blog post for the episode over at podcasters.com/237 you can you know, leave a comment there. Aside from also watching the two vlogs, my last Incredicoaster vlog, or I'm sorry, California Screaming vlog, and then the Incredicoaster vlog, on that page, you're also going to find all of Skyler's links to all his social media, the Diz Insider, all that good stuff. So make sure that you head on over to the blog post to check that out. Of course, before we go any further, we want to send a shout out to everyone on the FGP squad. If you're new to the podcast, the FGP squad are our podcast fairy godparents, and it's their contributions via Patreon that help make these episodes of Podcateers possible. You can get more info on how you can become part of the FGP squad by going to podcateers.com FGP. And if you sign up for at least a contribution of $5 monthly, you will also get the exclusive fairy godparent button as a thank you for your support once again a huge thanks goes out to everyone on the fgp squad okay so i want to talk about the disneyland christmas morning special but before we do can i just tell you that the more i'm thinking about the get your ears on celebration that's coming to the disney parks the more I'm excited about it. Oh, yeah? Cool. Primarily because I can't really get the song out of my head. <laughs> I-, I don't know if it's the official song or not. I mean, it sounds legit is what mm-hmm. I'm going to say. I'm not going to confirm or deny that it is or isn't the song that they're going to use for Mickey's 90th party at the parks. But... Do you guys want to hear a piece of it? Just yes. in case it happens to be the song <laughs> that's used in the parks? I mean, you want a little sneak peek? Of course. All right. Let's uh, have a little sneak peek here. Come on now. <laughs> Come on. Uh, it's, very, it's very contemporary. Yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> uh, again, I can neither confirm nor deny that that's going to be the song that's going to be playing in the parks. But super catchy song, right? Right, mm-hmm. right. It's Skylar, I see you hard squirming. I, it just doesn't ring Disney to me when I hear it. I just, it sounds like a theme song to a Disney Channel, like, original series right i think that's what they're going for which is which is fine it it's not the music that is really going to get to me yeah it just i don't it well if you think about it if gavin said it it sounds so contemporary yeah it's really contemporary (laughs) Uh, my musical sensibilities run to decades past but that's beside the point i i feel like though this it really works for the concept that they're going for because if it's going to be the song that's used for the nighttime show Mm -hmm. the whole premise is that mickey is djing that show right right that's Mm -hmm. what we read and so that kind of works for the concept you know whatever it's going to be and you know i've got faith that they're going to make a good show out of it and if this is the song that they're going to use then fine 
you know, I kind of had the same first reaction to the Paint the Night song as well. I just felt like it just really jumps out. doesn't sound yeah, like no, I'm I listening to Disney thing <laughs> Me right and Aza were like, and I, no. And I see your shaking heads, <laughs> you guys. I see them. But, it, you know, it just – it. I've come to terms with it, you know, because I've been exposed to it for a couple years now or however many years it's been. But this is the same kind of initial reaction. I, you know, I agree with Skylar. It's like, whoa, I don't, I don't expect to hear that type of a song in the Disney parks. Yeah. I, look, Sherman Brothers, it is not. Correct. Okay, it's true. But I think we briefly mentioned it in the last episode that when back in 2015, 2016, when they were celebrating Mickey's birthday and they changed up his outfit to that like super cool you know, just like really comfortable look with the sneakers and everything. And he was traveling around the world dancing. That song, I think, was the the beginning of them switching into this era of Mickey, you know, because that was right about the time that they were starting to kick off the brand new Mickey shorts, you know, with the new Mickey style, which I think a lot of people still aren't fully used to seeing. I think there's a lot of purists that don't like this style of Mickey. But I mean, Around that time, the song that they used for Mickey's birthday, you know, really the only call to Mickey in general was the fact that it had that little earworm of Steamboat Willie whistling in the background. Other than that, the whole song was nothing to do with Disney, and it was also very contemporary. So I think we're going to hear a lot more of this in the parks because the age groups of the people that are more that are frequenting the park a lot more i think that's the demographic that they're trying to hit with this sort of thing especially with how they're they're bringing in groups like decapella and how they have mm-hmm. the new mickey mouse club it it fits the style of everything that they're forming together right now i mean that makes sense uh, you know so if they're going to transition into kind of a new era of music that they bring to us I understand that, you know, you know, people that went to the parks in the 70s probably hear a lot of music in the park now that they feel like is anachronistic. But, you know, it's it's one of those things that I think a lot of us are just going to have to get used to. You know, it's not instantly exciting for everybody right. you know, when they have a sound like this. But it is a well done song and it's got a lot of upbeat energy, which you would expect when we're celebrating Mickey Mouse. So. You know, I'm going to be open-minded about it. And I'm just saying, if it happens to be the song that's playing during the fireworks show, because remember, there's no (laughs) official word from Disney. I'm just saying, it just sounds like something that might be used for a nighttime show. And if that happens to be the song for said nighttime show, I personally would be okay with it. So where did you find this song? So moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. I can't talk about my sources. I'm sorry. I need to protect my sources. Uh, But uh, like I mentioned earlier, I did want to talk a little bit about the Disney Parks Christmas Day special. Did any of you get a chance to watch this? I did. Yeah. No. All right. You know, the, the Christmas specials, you know, they film about a month, month and a half before Christmas. They generally block off a portion of Disneyland and a portion of Magic Kingdom to film these things. They film the parade. And you generally know when it's going on because they have a bunch of cameras and stuff set up for TV production. And they have a big old sign when you walk in on Main Street saying, you may appear on camera. If you're not okay with this, please walk away. And uh, most people don't care. They line up anyway because, you know, they want to be on TV. 
this year, the list of guests, uh, they all did great jobs. You know, I think for the types of performances that they give, I think they all did a, a really great job. But I don't feel like there was really any performance that necessarily stood out aside from the fact that they landed Andrea Bocelli as one right. of the performances. That's pretty much it. Uh, what did yeah. you guys feel watching it? No, I, I agree. I mean, as I mentioned a minute ago, my, my musical tastes run to days of past. And so the only two acts I even knew who they were were Andrea Bocelli and Gwen Stefani from her No Doubt days. I know her, you know. And uh, everybody else I'm not really familiar with, but I felt like I felt like they kind of had a broad spectrum of artists, which was nice. But I felt like they had a group in Di Capella, which is like an actual Disney group that they're trying to promote and market right now. And they go on tour beginning early this coming year. And they totally underused them. Mm-hmm. You know, they had them sing the intro to a couple of segments, which was about five seconds long. And then they got one of the very last songs of the evening or the morning. And they didn't sing in unison almost once during that performance. It was just a bunch of solos. Like they each took like two lines from the song and sang it. And it was the weirdest choice that they've got this acapella group. And they just... Man, they just they totally lost their chance to really push them and make them shine, you know, and they they could have. But, you know, it was classic Disney television with, you know, it was kind of overly energetic and sickly sweet most of the time. Uh, But the parks looked great. I always love seeing the parks on TV. You know, they they always filmed them wonderfully and they looked so pristine and magical and, and pretty and you know, on that level, they did a great job. I did feel like the Disney parks got pushed aside a lot for the Walt Disney World parks because they did performances in every single one of their parks. And they only did one performance at the Disneyland Resort. And it was in front of the castle. They didn't do anything in DCA. But I just felt like they kind of got shoved aside a little bit. And yeah, it was it was two hours long. Yeah. Super long. Anyway, those are my general thoughts. It was, eh, I give it like a four out of 10. Yeah, it it was on on TV, but I didn't really pay attention to it. That and it could have been because it was so early in the morning. So I'm like, I'm not a morning person. (laughs) So I wasn't really paying attention. But um, yeah, I mean, I love Gwen Stefani, but I wasn't really like, oh, I got to watch this or whatnot. And it was more like Andrea Pocelli and his son and... That right there, I was like, okay, I need to watch this because this guy's a legend. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not a Disney legend. Don't get confused. But <laughs> just in the musical world, it was beautiful. And I think that was pretty much the best part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and him and Di Capella were the only ones that didn't lip sync their performances, I think. Yeah. I'm pretty sure <laughs> all the rest were lip syncing. see them. Yeah. yeah. Look, we're not saying that. Disney doesn't get really great artists for this type of production, right? They get some amazing artists for all of the shows that they do, uh, all of these special events. But there was just something about this show that just, I mean, it felt Christmassy. 
You know, thankfully, they didn't go overboard with the whole like, oh, brr, it's winter and it's super cold while everybody's in a tank top in the audience, right? In Southern <laughs> California. They did do that a couple times, though. Well, I mean, they didn't go overboard, which <laughs> I was right, pretty right. thankful about. But you're right, dude. The decapella thing, I think, was the most uh, confusing part of it because mm-hmm. the song that they chose, I think, was not a great song for them to do. I mean, one of the best things about watching bands like Pentatonix and Straight No Chaser are just having them really show you what they can do as vocalists. Mm-hmm. And you're right. All we got were a bunch of solos. Oh, and also they sang with musical backing. They didn't sing a cappella. Ah, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So it was it was weird. It was a strange misstep in my opinion. Mm-hmm. They really didn't showcase them appropriately. And maybe that's hard to do in an outdoor live venue like that. You know, maybe, maybe they couldn't have really done it. So then I either wouldn't have used them or I would have done studio video of them and, you know, had that intro, the segments or something. I don't know, dude. I've seen acapella bands perform with no instruments mm-hmm. and they can execute it. I don't know. I. I mean, I like Decapella. I've heard a lot of their stuff over the last year. This was mm-hmm. possibly my least favorite thing that they've done, but I'm so excited to see them, and hopefully I get a chance to see them live because I just love acapella music. I love when groups showcase uh, how vocally talented they are when they can mm-hmm. produce just entire songs with just their voices. And so this was just not that. I think they just wanted them to be featured somehow. You know, and maybe they found out super late and they didn't have time to make a complete arrangement for Christmas. And that's how they ended up doing this. Because when you think of like West Beat Sings, West Beat Sings hangs around downtown Disney and they do amazing without any uh, instruments when they're the scarlers or even during Christmas time. So, I mean, it could be done. I agree. That's true. Now, there was one thing that was awesome that got me really excited, and that was the, I guess it was like 15-minute preview of Galaxy's Edge, (laughs) introduced by Uncle Bob himself, (laughs) and man, that was cool. You know, it gave us, you know, a little bit of new footage, and man, it got me amped up all over again for Galaxy's Edge. Describe a little bit about what Bob Iger talked about and what we saw as far as how, you know, um, Smuggler's Run is going to function. So we got really good footage of inside the cockpit uh, for Smuggler's Run. It's, you know, it's going to be a six-person vehicle, basically. And it looks so interactive like the video that they showed had people just like mashing buttons all over the cockpit like you know doing things and lights were changing i don't know how how all of that is going to affect the actual ride there might be very particular things that you have to do to do it but it just looks like it's truly going to throw you into a scenario where you feel like you're impacting the outcome you know everything that we do in the park now you're kind of passively experiencing right it's being done for you and this really looks like well i guess except autopia or something like that you know i I think this really is going to make it feel like you're on an e-ticket level attraction and you have some say in the outcome you know you can't steer the indiana jones vehicle even though there's a steering wheel there right you know but in this it feels like you're going to be able to make a difference and that is so exciting 
but I love that it looks like it's going to feel like the interior of a base. And it has, you know, those classic Star Wars looking corridors that you're going to be walking through. That's probably going to be the queue area. And I feel like even though it's not an actual location from one of the films, you know, which a lot of people bemoaned in the beginning, I still feel like they are going to make it feel like you're stepping into the world of Star Wars, not unlike Pandora and Cars Land. And it's going to be especially true once you get into these attractions. Maybe not when you just walk into the land itself, but once you get on these attractions, everything they've released so far just feels so Star Wars. You know, they've got yeah. some, they showed us some other footage from that attraction. And there's a moment where you come face to face with a couple of ATATs like towering over you and like shooting lasers at you. And oh my gosh, it looks so amazing. I, I can't wait. I'm the more, the closer it gets, the more and more I want to be there day one. Even though at first I was afraid because of Telling the crowds, you. but I, I'm, I think I'm going to have to be there. <laughs> So I, I don't think I've told you guys that I might not be able to be there day one. Oh, what? why not? Uh, because we have a, a prior family commitment. <sighs> we'll so, take one for the team. Just start a start a fight right now and get yourself uninvited. I'm not going to do that. But thanks for the <laughs> thanks for the suggestion. <laughs> hey, I'm just trying to provide solutions. <laughs> hey, Skylar, what are your thoughts on Galaxy's Edge? I don't think we've ever had you on the podcast and actually talked about that. I know we've had little conversations on the side, but overall, what are your thoughts on Galaxy's Edge coming to the Disneyland Resort? Yeah, I feel one of two ways. The 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 good part, like the good I the good ways to me are, you know, you're gonna be kind of in this Star Wars universe or kind of um they wanna transport you to a galaxy far, far away, which I love. I love being, you know, a part of the movie. Um the rides look fun, uh, you know, AT-ATs towering over you, like Gavin said, that's just awesome. I probably won't be there day one either, but for a completely different reason. I don't want to deal with all those people day yeah, one. Yeah, it's going to be nuts. I know that. Like, if you're, like, if you grew up loving Star Wars, like, that's your passion, that's your love, you've waited since they announced it, then yeah, be there day one. That's super cool. I'm not going to knock you for it. S- send me pictures. <laughs> I, I'll be there i'll be there in a few weeks don't worry sure. guys gavin and melissa will be there covering it live yeah. hey, I, i've camped out i've done it i have what is probably <laughs> a completely naive hope and that is because the talk has been so fearful of the crowds and it's been for well over a year now everybody's been talking about how insane the crowd is going to be I have this naive hope that that's going to scare so many people away that it won't be half bad. You know, Mm. I mean, it'll still be crowded, but it won't be, you know, terrible. I'll probably be dead wrong. I'm going to hold on to that hope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, we're keeping our eye out for any kind of uh, thing we can jump in on. That would be amazing. Yeah. So if anybody knows anything that's coming or there's any soft openings that you guys want to invite us to, wink, wink. Let us know, you know, shoot us a message and I will be happy to attend a soft opening because I I won't be able to go to the real opening. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, that's coming. Super excited about it. That video, uh, I believe they already released the additional footage that came from the Christmas special. 
I'm going to look for the video and I'm going to post it in the blog post. If you guys haven't seen that, podcasters.com slash 237 if you want to take a look. Tell us your thoughts on how you feel about Galaxy's Edge, how you feel about the new uh, video that was released, and uh, will you be there day one? I think that's the golden question, right? Will you be there day one for this? Because whether you're a Star Wars fan or not, new lands at Disneyland don't open frequently. So to be a part of history, you know, might be just worth the camping out process. So if you think you're going to be there day one, you know, shoot us a message. And if you want to send us a report, if we're not there, we'd love to share (laughs) it with everyone. Before we continue, I just want to ask you all a quick question. Do you shop on Amazon? Because if you do, we have a super simple way that you can help us out the next time you need to make a purchase. The next time you're getting ready to buy something, start by going to podcateers.com slash Amazon and clicking on the big Amazon button. That'll take you to Amazon using our special link and anything that you buy may earn us a small commission as a thank you from Amazon for mentioning them on the podcast. To everyone that's taken a few extra seconds to start their purchasing journey on podcateers.com slash Amazon, we just want to say thank you. Uh, All right. So looking towards 2019, uh, we wanted to have Skylar on this episode because we wanted to talk a little bit about some of the films that are coming um, as far as Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, uh, because... I mean, 2018 was just a well-oiled machine for the Disney company and for Marvel when it came to just film after film after film. Skylar, do you have an idea of what Disney ended up netting at the end of 2018? Uh, as of right now of this recording, they've netted about $7.5 billion for 2018. And that's billion with a B. Woo! And that's the second <laughs> time they've done it. They're the only studio to do it twice. What was the last Whoa. year that they did it? 2016, I believe. So not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Not too long ago. I don't ago. think it was back to back. I think it was 2016. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. I mean, with films like Black Panther, you know, Infinity War, uh, it was just an amazing year. For the Disney company. Uh, I know that Mary Poppins was struggling a little bit its first week or two uh, or its first week after being released. How's that picked up so far? I haven't really kept up with it. Yeah, so it should, you know, cross $100 million uh, fairly soon. I, I think it's going to sputter around $200 million, which I don't think by all means that's a fail for Disney. Uh, we got to remember that Mary Poppins Returns sadly opened at a time where movies like we're raving about spider-man into the spider-verse in its second week yeah its first week actually uh mm-hmm. aquaman opened two days later uh bumblebee opened up a couple days later then you have these smaller films maybe for an older crowd including green book welcome to Marwin from uh robert zemeckis and steve carell um so so we're slowly seeing these other movies come out it's just a packed year for movies you still have you know roth breaks the internet in theaters fantastic beast it's just so packed but these movies are still finding a way to make a little cash mary poppins returns isn't the type of movie that's going to do well overseas so 200 million is probably where it's going to land as of right now i think it's like at 92 million worldwide Mm, could be wrong okay i know you had a chance to screen mary poppins returns what what was your feeling overall as far as 
the the shift in the music because you know we talked a little bit about this last episode it's not sherman brothers music like we were used to listening to in the first film how do you think the adaptation of the the songs that were created for this one compare and how does it fit this version of the film so in terms of fitting it, it i thought it did a good job kind of keeping you know the 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 tone for the movie they're setting um very I'm trying to say a depressing movie, but it's very, I guess it's very Debbie Downer. Um, but the songs, you know, they take nods to, you know, some of these classic films, uh, especially that the Shermans did not, not just Mary Poppins, whether you're, you know, you're thinking bed knobs and broomsticks, chitty, chitty, bang, bang, stuff like this. Um, I think it did a really good job. If you listen to the soundtrack, which is out right now, I mean, I recommend seeing the movie. I think Mary Poppins Returns is a solid adaptation. Emily Blunt does a fantastic job in a role that most people thought were like, oh, only Julie Andrews is Mary Poppins. Well, Emily Blunt, for the most part, a lot of people are saying she killed it, and I have to agree, you know. Um, But that said, listen to the soundtrack. When you listen to it, it feels like classic Disney. It's that Disney feel that I get when I listen to music, and that's what I like. They kept this old um, Disney sound to it. It's like they took, they wanted to take nods to what the Sherman Brothers did in this new film, and I, I think that's great. Are the songs as memorable as the you know the classic Mary Poppins? No, but you know it, it's kind of like when we were talking about that that song you were, that Mickey song that ridiculous DJ song you you were playing how dare you <laughs> sir <laughs> uh, it this the, the music in Mary Poppins returns just felt classic disney i'm a huge classic disney fan and i i just think it did a really good job kind of portraying what the original film did and kind of following in this new film's footsteps that's awesome uh gavin and melissa have you guys had a chance to see mary poppins returns not yet okay yeah we had a plan to watch it today as a matter of fact and unfortunately our our plans fell through so we're hoping to watch it uh in the next couple of days because you know the kids have a vacation going on for winter break and everything so we're hoping we get a chance to take them this upcoming week uh but yeah i'm looking forward to it you know, I've, I've heard a lot of great things about it. Uh, I mean, I've heard some negative as well, but I think the negative is really spawning from the people that uh, are so purist about the original version of Mary Poppins with Julie Andrews that they can't really get past seeing Emily Blunt in that role. Oh, see, I'm a huge fan of the original. I walked out very pleased. Awesome. That's, That's good. good. I, yeah. All I, right. I feel like if people could just see it as an, because it's it's a new Mary Poppins tale, or not new, but it's a different tale. You know, it's not a remake. And I feel like if people could just have a more open mind in that sense, they could give it a chance. You know, yeah. I'll say I that mean, see it for the two D animated scene alone. See it for that sequence. Sweet. Alone. Yeah, That's, it was amazing what they did with that. And I think Gavin's coming from an animation background, he will love that. You'll you'll just you'll you'll dig it. That's awesome. Awesome. All right, so let's take a look at some of the films that are going to be coming to us in 2019 from all of these studios. Uh, we'll have Skylar just give us a quick little rundown of the films and, you know, projections, how we think they're going to do as far as continuing a franchise and so on, how it's going to propel a franchise in the future. So let's start off in March with Captain Marvel. 
Yeah, Captain Marvel comes out uh, in March. It, it's it's set in the 90s. It takes a step back from the current MCU we're in and takes us back to, I believe it's set in 1995. Um, and we're, we're seeing Captain Marvel, her name is Carol Danvers, uh, kind of come into her own as a superhero. She's, you know, she's picked up off of, you know, it looks like from what we tell this very Top Gun feel, she was a pilot, her plane crashed, uh, Star Force, which is these group of, I won't say alien race, but like Kree race, uh, you know, they kind of basically save her and turn her into this warrior and she's a part of this warrior team called star force which features korath and if you're not familiar with who korath is he is dajman hansu who was uh uh, he was in the first guardians of the galaxy at the very beginning he has that famous line when he says i'm star lord and he goes who that's yes (laughs) um we're gonna see ronin again from guardians of the galaxy which is going to be a unique take i think what a lot of fans will appreciate with captain marvel is it's a standalone movie it's going to be set in the 90s it's going to be very kind of what to bumblebee is right now with a lot of audiences how it's kind of like that classic transformers feel it's going to be a very classic 90s marvel comic story it's a standalone don't expect any like hardcore cameos in the film and it's from what i've heard it's a cross between top gun and a little bit of uh, guardians of the galaxy kind of infused together um and i think it's uh, as a standalone film i i really think this movie will probably come around at maybe guardians of the galaxy numbers i don't believe it hits a billion dollars i don't think the buzz for captain marvel is there like maybe like a black panther or an avengers film but i think it's going to do solid you know it's marvel's first female superhero on the big screen we saw what wonder woman did last year making over 800 million dollars at the box office so i think we can kind of keep those expectations right there with captain marvel right on right on uh you know you said that you don't think it'll reach a million dollars if Black Widow was to get her own film, do you think the Black Widow film would ever hit those numbers? No, and it, and it's not because it's a, a female-led superhero. You got to think when you're when you're talking, you lay out a list of your ten favorite current Marvel Cinematic Universe characters, and kind of basically what we're talking about. What it, what are they trying to target at? They're trying to target at, you know, t- uh, young teens, teenagers, and adults, uh, anywhere from ages twenty to. 45 they would love to go a little older if they can't go older obviously you know that's disney already knows how to market um i can guarantee black widow is not like something people have been clamoring for and and a good example is han solo not a lot of people were wanting a han solo movie and we look at the numbers it, it just shows that some of these characters iconic as they are maybe aren't suited for their own film and I just don't think Black Widow is. Now, that's not to say she won't have a successful movie, but her film, once again, will take place, I believe, in the early 2000s. So we'll have to wait and see. But Black Widow is not for another year. Okay. All right, so let's uh, hop ahead a few weeks in March, and we have Dumbo. Ooh, Dumbo. So I'm excited for Dumbo. Um, here's the thing. I'll start off with this. I, I actually know about six or seven people that have already seen Dumbo. And they say it's the best live-action remake they've, that Disney's done. Um, not a shot-for-shot remake. This is a complete reimagining. Uh, don't expect a talking Timothy Mouse. 
Um, it, you know, it's centered on Dumbo, Jumbo. Uh, there is a mouse in the movie. Um, I don't want to spoil anything because I know a lot on this film. Um, but it, it's centered around this family trying to protect Dumbo. Danny DeVito kind of owns the characters. Michael Keaton is this big bad ringleader, which was actually supposed to go to uh, Tom Hanks. Little little fact for you there. Wow. Yeah, it Dumbo is a, you know it's an emotional kind of twist on the classic tale. Now Dumbo is one of those movies where when you kind of take your top five, you know, best animated Walt Disney films for a lot of people, uh, Dumbo's in their top five. So this is going to be like the first, you know, big, huge remake for, for the, for the studio that they're going to be like, okay, how is this going to be different and not a shot for shot remake? Cause there's a lot of trepidations from the classic or the animated classic that probably wouldn't work in the new film. A lot of you guys already know what I'm talking about, but from what I've heard, it's, you know, it's emotional, it's heartwarming. Um, I heard the special effects look good and I, I don't expect this movie to make a billion dollars either. Uh, March is a pretty stacked month for movies. I could see this movie making Cinderella numbers. I, I think it'll do better than Christopher Robin, but not as probably not as much as like a Maleficent. So anywhere between five hundred million, five hundred fifty-five million. Okay, I'm just guessing at this point. All right, that, that's a pretty good forecast for that. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited about this one too. Uh, and me too. I, I think the only reason I'm excited about it it not just because it's dumbo but because it has that that big fish feel to it that we've exactly. talked about in the past <laughs> Bingo. that's that's one of my favorite films of all time like i absolutely love big fish and it, it has that same look to it the style the acting style and i think that is going to go a long way for it as well and I think this fits Tim Burton's sensibilities a lot more than it did with Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. So here's hoping that when we go see the movie, it's, you know, it's just as good as what we're hearing. Yeah. Uh, okay. So now we jump into April and the very first juggernaut of the year for the Disney company, Avengers Endgame. Oh, man. I, so I think we all kind of have the, we've all seen Infinity War, Gavin. Negative. Ah. Negative <laughs> Ghost Rider. I knew, I knew oh, man. There's some things to love about Infinity War. It's I, I know it's not for everyone, um, but if you get a chance to uh, catch up on it before Endgame, Endgame is kind of the end of the MCU as we know it. Of course, the MCU is continuing on. There's already movies planned, but this is really kind of the end for a lot of our characters that we know and love. It's very, very likely that this is the end of... Robert Downey Jr.'s run, whose contract ends after this movie. Same with uh, Chris Evans' Captain America. The trailer didn't give us too much, but this this is going to be a big epic film. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be powerful, emotional. This movie, I think, will do repeat numbers of what Infinity War did. You know, Infinity War has all this buzz. It made $2 billion. Not a lot of movies have made $2 billion at the box office. Now you have all this buzz and excitement, and now this looks like the end of, you know, a fantastic chapter 11 years and um not a lot is known on this movie the russos have been kind of the directors joe and anthony russo they've been keeping their their lips pretty much sealed on this whole project and i love that yeah i love being able to go into something with so many things unanswered because in this we've talked about how in this spoilerific world so many people are clamoring for just those little bits of data that they can piece together that by the time you watch the film, you pretty much feel like you saw it because you read all these articles. And 
the onus is on us, really, because we're reading through those articles, right? But, yeah. uh, you know, we do live in a world where, for some reason, everybody feels like they need to spoil things. And I just don't understand, you know, that part of, of what goes on with these films. I, I know I'm looking forward to it. It's interesting to see that within a month, essentially, a month and a half or so, they're ending what we know the MCU to be now, but they're also beginning the new chapter of the MCU with Captain Marvel, because that's really what's going to kick off, you know, this next phase for the MCU. And it's going to be interesting to see where that goes. Exactly. Uh, so fast forward about a month into May, and we have the live action Aladdin film. Uh, yeah, so Aladdin, which will be more closely a, a remake in the same vein as Beauty and the Beast was. You know, it's you're going to have a lot of the uh, mostly the same characters from the animated film, a couple new songs thrown in here by award winning uh, uh, musical uh, songwriters, Pasek and Paul, who did La La Land and The Greatest Showman. Um, from what I've heard b- based on this film is uh, G- the genie's great. I've heard of Boo and the Flying Carpet steal scenes together. Nice. I, I heard they're they're probably the the comedic duo of the whole movie outside of the genie. I've heard the musical uh, sequences. A uh, couple are, are not there yet. I think a lot of the reshoots uh, were working on a lot of the problems that may have been had. But I, I, I have heard that, that the whole new world scene is pretty amazing to see in this kind of live action form. So we are going to hear the song again in this one? You're gonna hear all the songs. Well, okay, so anything, any anything from the animated film, music-wise, is gonna be transferred over into the film. So okay. it's very much a musical, probably not as hardcore as Beauty and the Beast was, let's say. Um, but more than Cinderella was. Much more than Cinderella was. <laughs> and you're gonna see all these characters. You know, there there was a lot of questions like, is Abu gonna be in it? Is Iago gonna be in it? Well, from the trailers, we know Iago's in it. Abu's in it. Raja's gonna be in it. Um, a lot of these characters that we know and love. And, um, you know, I've heard some good things. I've heard some not so good things. I've heard Mina Masood's a great Aladdin. I, you know, I, I think they picked the right guy. I think he has a nice look. Um, you know, I, I guess this is all based on photos. Like, I, did you guys catch the EW? Uh, yeah. Photos of yeah. those were great. That came out. Um, and as good as they are, EW usually doesn't have the best photos when it comes to the first looks. So um, with Aladdin, I can see this making, once again, Maleficent numbers. I, I can't see this movie making a billion dollars. Most It comes out on, I believe, Memorial Day weekend. Movies that come out on Memorial Day weekend, for some odd reason, struggle. I don't know why, but it always happens. Mm. And I, I just don't think Aladdin breaks the curse. Do you Because everybody's out barbecuing and stuff like that instead yeah. of going to the movies. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Because he could have been at a barbecue. But no, I'm dragging you through the desert. Nope, wrong Will Smith movie. (laughs) Do you think that people will be able to see past the Fresh Prince and actually see Will Smith as the genie? That that's okay. So that's tough. Like Will Smith has already said his genie is not a remake of the Robin Williams genie, which I love. I'm all about you know kind of if you want to do a remake or. You know, even I don't think any character is untouchable. I'm one of those guys that think, you know, we've seen remakes of Scarface and we've seen remakes of, you know, Wizard of Oz has been out there. Maybe not that good, but they've been out there. Um, We've seen Western remakes. We've seen so many remakes. So I don't think any role is untouchable. But when you think of iconic roles, you think of Robin Williams as the genie, probably one of the greatest um, voice 
you know, one of the greatest voiceover roles for the Disney company, uh, probably to this date still. You need to be different. I don't want to see a copy of Robin Williams done by Will Smith, and I don't think anyone who's excited for this movie does either. Apparently his take is the Fresh Prince take. Whether or not people get past that is it is really going to be on the performance of Will Smith alone. Can he show us that, hey, he's not Robin Williams, but he's a pretty good genie. It's different. It's a different take. That's going to be the big question. I think we're lucky enough to... I don't think we've been oversaturated with Will Smith lately. He's kind of slowed down his projects recently. Yeah. And I think we can... I think we'll be able to look past it. Um, in my, I haven't... Obviously, I haven't seen the movie, so I think I'm going to wait for a trailer until I make any judgments on the movie as a whole, uh, especially The Genie, because that's going to... all. Despite what, you know, the music we're all excited for, Aladdin, Jasmine, all eyes are really going to be on the genie. Like, the genie carries Aladdin for the most part. So it's going to be all all eyes on Will Smith. So I'm going to wait till the trailer before I make any judgments. Yeah. You know, one of the most interesting things that I'm looking to see that might happen is that you know, we live in a world that's very a la carte when it comes to entertainment with the Hulus and Netflix and Amazon Primes of the world and, you know, Disney Plus coming up, you know, next year or yeah, next year. And Will Smith recently made a jump into the YouTube spectrum and he's been really pumping through his channel. He's been doing a lot of stuff for YouTube. And I think Will Smith understands because of his kids that YouTube, YouTube live and posting is really where he's going to get a lot of traction because we've seen that happen with these big YouTubers where they're getting these deals with like ESPN or they're getting deals with these larger companies and larger entities to talk about the streaming, the games, the the shows that they're doing, you know, even YouTube has these original shows and really I think all of these services are truly the future of just how we consume all this media. So it's an right. interesting thing that Will Smith just months before Aladdin is released, he decides to really push through into his YouTube channel and start building this new audience that's not necessarily his demographic, but will be able to introduce the film to that demo. Exactly. Okay, so June, uh, one of the most anticipated films, I think, by all of us, Toy Story 4. Yeah. Man, Pixar has been keeping this one under wraps. Like we've been teased, uh, you know, regarding the film that it's going to be kind of a road trip style movie. Uh, obviously, with the teaser trailers that have come out, we've seen that it's got a carnival setting. Who knows if the road trip leads them to a carnival? Um, I, I think with Toy Story four though, um, here, here's what's tough to nail with Toy Story four is that Toy Story three did two good things. They closed the chapter on an amazing animated, uh, you know, trilogy. But at the same time, they left the door wide open to continue. Like, you know, Andy has now passed over to Bonnie. Now Bonnie can have these new stories with these characters. Do we want to see the continuing adventures of these characters? Of course we do. Um, However... If there is a tiny bump in this movie, or if anyone feels that this movie becomes a Cars 2 or Cars 3, don't think it will. I, I'm sorry, Kevin. <laughs> I liked Cars 3, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Cars 2, not so much. Right. But let's say there was a bump in this, because, th- you know, you look at the three movies, they've, for the most part, they have gotten better. Toy Story 1, 
masterful. Toy Story 2, masterful. Toy Story 3, masterful. A bump in Toy Story 4, does it does it harm the, a fantastic franchise? Do people go, okay, they shouldn't have done Toy Story 4. Now you have this, you know, this buzz around it that's not good and it ends on this kind of like low note. That's my one worry. I think this movie makes a billion dollars. We look at Finding Dory, made a billion dollars. Just this past year, Incredibles 2, a billion dollars. People want to see these sequels. Um, I think Pixar is the best when it comes to storytelling. I don't want to see these sequels, but if you're going to give me these sequels, I, I just hope the storytelling is fantastic. It, it, I'm trying to kind of speak on Toy Story 4 without getting into any controversy. Toy Story 4, which is directed by Josh Cooley, wasn't originally supposed to be directed by Josh Cooley. It was supposed to be John Lasseter right. with mm-hmm. Josh Cooley. You know, Sadly, some stuff happened with uh, with John Lasseter. He dropped off the project, and mysteriously, Josh Cooley became the sole director of Toy Story 4. Um, think what you will on the John Lasseter stuff. John Lasseter is the brains and the, the mastermind with a couple other people uh, at Pixar behind Toy Story and what Toy Story means to the company. So there's a lot of eyes on this movie. I It's, it's hard to say how well this movie will be received, but it's going to do fantastic for Disney at the box office. That is a fact. Yeah, the, the whole John Lasseter thing I think is really going to be interesting to see how it unfolds because you know for those that followed the story about what happened to john lasseter you know the disconnection from disney was not a happy one to say the least and because like you said skyler it was his brainchild it's the first time we're going to see somebody take over this project without him and because the whole correct me if i'm wrong but wasn't the entire film redone after he left the project well, they had um, Rashida Jones and Eric McCormick as writers. Um, they had left the project. They swore up and down it wasn't due to John Lasseter, but they, it was more because of the, I, I guess, females in the workplace at Pixar. Um, but there was a script out there for Toy Story 4 that was redone. Um, Stephanie Folsom, who did a draft of Thor Ragnarok, came in there and kind of retweaked the whole script. Um, so it's a completely different story. It, it wasn't even, Bo Peep wasn't even, it was supposed to be a mission to find Bo Peep. Bo Peep's still in it, but it's not a mission to find Bo Peep. I guess it's a road trip in which they run into Bo Peep. Um, and Annie Potts is returning, so her role is supposedly very pivotal to the film. So it, like you said, it, it there was some changes made. I still think there's going to be a stamp that John Lasseter left on it. But since they've made so many changes, how detrimental to the film will it be that they've changed so much in a short amount of time? Because really, we're uh, just a few months away from Toy Story 4 now. Yeah. Well, I mean, regardless of whether the stamp is on this film, the stamp exists forever. Because if Mm -hmm. it wasn't for him, the characters wouldn't exist, really. Sometimes it's difficult for people to separate the artist from the art. You know, and I think this is one of those situations where people that stand on that platform will really have to dig deep to figure out how they want to stand on this one. I think it's easy to separate the artist from the art because the art doesn't necessarily always represent what the artist does or says or acts, you know. So this is one of those cases where I think you can completely separate them 
a franchise can live on. And with people like Pete Doctor and at least until he retires, Ed Catmull, these guys were there from the inception of these characters and work so closely with John Lasseter that they understand what they represent, what they should be, what their voice is. One of the most interesting changes that I saw in the trailer was Key and Peel. You know, the way that they were making fun of Buzz Lightyear was a refreshing <laughs> take on how they generally do these trailers because it showed a couple of things to me. It showed that, one, they're not afraid to make fun of these characters. You know, I, I think a lot of franchises will hold their characters deep and they, they will do everything to protect them. And Disney does a lot of that as well. You know, Mickey Mouse is one of the most protected characters worldwide. But the fact that they were able to throw these little jabs just to to have that comedic moment and the way that they fit into the story is something that I don't think we've ever seen before in the Toy Story franchise. Well, not in the Toy Story franchise by any means. Disney's known for kind of making fun of themselves. Like if we really if we really think about it, the, they have a movie based on making not really making fun of themselves, but poking fun. And that's Enchanted. That whole movie was right. poking fun at them. Um, so they're not afraid to do that. Now, Pixar's completely different. I get this as an animated film, but now we look at Ralph Breaks the Internet. They poked fun at Disney constantly in that film. But Pixar's a different animal. Like, like I said, Pixar's completely different than Disney animation. Like, we get the, you know, it's the same parent company, but, you know, we're, we're not serious, but when we think of Pixar, we think of, you know, storytelling that kind of moves people in these yeah, um, different kind of emotion emotional ways and this could be their their way of saying okay let's take the this franchise into the comedic realm which not a lot of the pixar films have gone the more strictly comedic realm so maybe that's what they're trying to go for which is cool um and obviously the whole going back to the whole john lazard thing obviously a lot of people are being able to separate it because look how well coco did at the box office mm -hmm. incredibles 2 and so on um but it's post toy story 4 at that point so let me jump in with a word of caution to pixar and i'm gonna do it through the use of an example the land before time was a great film the land before time seven was a watered down <laughs> mess so just be careful <laughs> Be careful you don't go too far. <laughs> my clan before time 12, search for the 9 millionth tree star. Right. Search for the rock that we stepped on three movies ago. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I feel like Toy Story already found its perfect vehicle to continue adventures of these characters, and that is in the short films, which are all amazing. And right. I think that uh, we don't have a need for any more feature-length film. That being said, I'll be there opening day. I can't wait to see it. Which is uh, probably what they should have done with Cars 2 and just made it a Mater's Tale. I agree. I, I agree. I mean, I, I feel like, well, I, I don't totally agree. I feel like Toys, or Cars 3 would be seen in a much better light if Cars 2 had never existed. Because it, it kind of ends up being the perfect sequel to Cars. I'm but, on record. I'm really cool. I'm so sorry, Gavin. I'm on record. Cars 3 is much better than the first Cars. I don't care what anyone says. Really? I, I kind of said that too. I think Cars 3 <laughs> is a beautiful, like, it's a beautiful tale. Very, yeah, I love seeing, you know, someone in the, like, kind of like down on his mm -hmm. luck and, and rising up only to teach someone else. And yeah. 
it's just it's just an amazing story. I just I there's don't get me wrong. I like the first Cars, but I think Cars yeah. is much better. I That's got awesome. guff I, I like for saying that. By the way, yes, guff. <laughs> I'm sorry, Did I guff, give you I, some of that guff? <laughs> I might have. maybe. Maybe. I mean, on a similar note, I I pretty much feel Monsters University is better than Monsters Inc. For kind of the same reason. I think that's an awesome story. I love it. Anyway, didn't mean to sidetrack it. What's our next film? Uh, July. We get uh, our next installment of our favorite web slinger, Spider-Man Far From Home. Is it animated? Uh, No. 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 This is pretty much a follow-up to Homecoming. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it takes place after the events of uh, Avengers Endgame. Peter Parker and his classmates go on a trip to Europe. Uh, and they kind of go toe-to-toe with Mysterio, who's a classic Spider-Man villain. He's played by Jake Gyllenhaal. However, Mysterio in this film isn't going to be the villain. In fact, he teams up with Spider-Man in this film. And they fight these uh, these group of kind of forces called the Elementals. And they kind of control like the water, fire. Uh, I believe one of them controls the wind. Uh, so Mysterio and Spider-Man team up. I, this movie is going to do well. Will it make a billion? That's a question that I couldn't answer. I, I, the first Spider-Man, I believe, made about $800 million. I could see this one making about $800 million. What's going to be really difficult, and Gavin kind of hinted at it, is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is so good. <laughs> this movie needs to blow our minds as a live-action film because Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was just an insane take on the Spider-Man character, what they did with the character, what you could do with the character. That said, Tom Holland's a great Peter Parker. Uh, we've never seen Mysterio on the big screen before. Uh, there's a lot of buzz around this movie. And I, I really think the Spider-Man movies in live action form have been fun for the most part, besides Spider-Man 3. So yeah, I, th- I think this will be a solid movie. I'm glad you kind of mentioned Into the Spider-Verse comparing this one, because two thoughts on this. I don't think it's going to be better than Into the Spider-Verse, and I don't think it's even going to come close to what Into the Spider-Verse made us feel and think as far as how Spider-Man can be presented. Because it's two totally different things to me. Right. Homecoming, by far, has been my favorite version of live-action Spider-Man to date. And I I think... Far From Home will just be a continuation of what we got in Homecoming. Tom Holland is by far the best Spider-Man. If they did try to integrate little pieces of these comic flashbacks into a live-action Spider-Man, I think Spider-Man is the only film that that would work with. Because Spider-Man is so ingrained in comic book lovers' like psyches that... If we were watching Tom Holland as Spider-Man and all of a sudden his Spidey sense tingles and we see a a panel of comic books kind of flash by and we see this crazy animation style and then it goes back to live action, I think Spider-Man is possibly the best film to experiment that with and the only one that could get away with it. That said, I don't think they're going to do it, but I think Tom Holland is just going to uh, steal the show again as Spider-Man live action. So I just want to throw that out there. Yeah, I want to go on record, though. I don't need this movie to be better than Spider-Verse. Spider-Verse is a completely different Spider-Man film and a completely different take on that universe. It's just got to be a good Spider-Man film. That's all. Just give us a good Spider-Man film. We'll be happy. It doesn't need to be better than Spider-Verse, but it's good. A lot of eyes are going to be like, okay, maybe we, if, if let's say, and I don't think it will, but let's say Far From Home kind of falters at the box office. Maybe critically it's not kind of received well. 
I think Sony's going to kind of take a step back and say, okay, we need to start focusing on Into the Spider-Verse 2 or the spin-off movies that we're kind of considering. So there's that to kind of keep an eye on come July. Yeah. And I mean, that's really what I think a lot of people have wanted Sony to do to begin with, because, you know, those that don't know, Spider-Man is one of the only holdouts that Marvel doesn't fully own as part of the MCU under Disney. You know, Spider-Man has been held kind of hostage, including the Fantastic Four and a couple of other characters. Really, the only way that Sony's been able to live on creating these films is because their contract says that as long as they keep producing films they keep ownership of the characters until a new deal has been struck and the box office is only making sony pictures money it's that when it comes to soul spider-man films the profits aren't solely going to marvel studios disney they're going to sony pictures because this is at the most part and it's it's preface this is a sony picture spider-man film he just happens to exist within the marvel cinematic universe right right which uh, i think that's why so many people were so excited to see when spider-man popped up in civil war because it was the first time that we've seen these characters that we've been wanting to see and now with the purchase of fox i we're finally going to start to dip into these other characters like the x-men and uh, a, a lot of other characters that haven't been uh, available to the MCU. John Watts is also directing Far From Home, right? He is directing Far From Home. Okay, if he just continues what he did with Homecoming, I think we're going to get an excellent Spider-Man film once again. Agreed. Uh, Okay, July. You know, you got those barbecues a sparkin', and we also get The Lion King. Ooh, this is is one that I've been kind of excited to talk about. Um, Okay, so The Lion King for all accounts, is is a remake. Um, it's an animated remake in a way. It's not live action. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so here, here's here's why why a lot of the people are 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 getting the live action kind of animated, kind of confused. It it's shot as a live action film. It's shot on a soundstage. It was shot. It wasn't shot like, you know, how an animated film is. It's shot on a soundstage. There's some green screens, some blue screens that they use. Same thing they did with the Jungle Book. There is just no human interaction. There is some mocap. Say what you will. You know, like the a great example is the Planet of the Apes characters. When you think of Andy Serkis' Caesar and Planet of the Apes, you don't think of a live-action Caesar. You think of a mocapped Caesar, which entails he's animated. Anyways, that, that being said... There's new characters uh, like Aladdin. There's going to be new songs. I liked the trailer. This movie is just a shot to be a billion dollars. I think it was smart to bring back James Earl Jones. I think if you're getting a, a new cast, fine, cool. Do that. I think they got the right voice talent for these roles. Like Nathan Lane is Timon. Very energetic, hyperactive, a little flamboyant. Who did they get? They got Billy Eichner. If, if you don't know who Billy Eichner is, watch Billy on the Streets. That guy is a walking Timon. Uh, Pumbaa, kind of <laughs> like a, like a, the comedic, kind of like la- like a little lazy, a little kind of just, you know, shuffled. Who do you get? You got Seth Rogen, who is the definition right. of that. Um, I think they got great voice talent. And, you know, they got singing talent they needed. The, you know, Childish Gambino, a.k.a. Donald Glover, Beyonce. Um, say what you will about Beyonce. She she was fantastic in Dreamgirls, which she oh, was yeah. kind of 
acclaimed for her acting, so she can act. She's been in animated films before, so she has lent her voice to roles uh, like Epic, which is an underrated animated film, by the way. Um, so th- this movie's a shot for a billion dollars. I'm excited. I need to see a little more in the next trailer, but I think after what John Favreau did with the Jungle Book, I think we're in safe hands with The Lion King. Do you think we're going to hear a lot of those iconic songs? We will hear those iconic songs. All right. It just depends which ones you're talking about. All of them. We, I All mean, because we, we had this conversation, right? You can't have The Lion King without that soundtrack. Oh, of course not. No, that, and that's why they got these these dual acting singers. I mean, uh, J.D. McCreary, who's voicing the young Simba, he is a rapper. And he, uh, apparently he's a solid Christian rapper. Um, Childish Gambino, Beyonce, uh Billy Eichner has done some music roles. Even Chuyatel Ejiofor, who voices Scar, he was in this uh, very little scene movie called Kinky Boots, and he he you know he sang in that. So you know you had to get someone who can kind of duel both the acting and the singing. Uh, so yeah, we're gonna see all the songs that we know and love. Well, hopefully they're they're just as good as the animated films. They don't need to be better. They just need to be good. I'm stoked. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, okay. And in August, we have Artemis Fowl. This is going to be a Wrinkle in Time Part 2. <laughs> oh. I, I do not see this movie doing well. First off, it's being released in August. Movies struggle when they get released in August. You have your few exceptions. Don't don't get me wrong. Guardian, The first Guardians of the Galaxy was, was uh, released in August. Uh, that went on to make $700 million. Uh, the the uh, It remake that they did, that made... I believe eight hundred million dollars that was released in August, but this is a this is a property that not a lot of people know about. It's very similar to A Wrinkle in Time. A Wrinkle in Time was a best selling book. Um, you know, they ad- tried to adapt it, very tough to adapt, and it didn't work out. Artemis fell, very tough to adapt. the The source material is very sci fi, Irish smuggler weird. And if you saw the trailer. You really couldn't tell what was going on, what yeah. was what was happening. Very tough to adapt. I do not. I, I think this is a throwaway movie for Disney, and the only reason why they got behind it was because they've been trying to get this movie done since I believe 2000, 2001 at Fox, but at Disney when they acquired the rights, I think since two thousand ten, and they have Kenneth Branagh directing, who's directed. Thor, Cinderella, uh, Shakespeare in Love, uh, Murder on the Orient Express. So. If this movie has any hope, it's on the heels of Kenneth Branagh, not the cast. I, I just I, I see this as a red flag. Oh, we put Artemis fell in August. Oh, like, interesting. I, it's a huge red flag to me. Interesting. I, you know, I'm I'm not as versed as as you are in trying to forecast when these films you know come out because I don't really go to the movies all that much. But when when I saw the trailer for Artemis fell. I kind of felt the same. I really didn't feel like it represented what the book is about. Because the book is, is actually a series of eight stories. And if anything, I kind of felt like this was Disney's attempt at creating a series outside of the MCU that was on the level of Harry Potter when it came to mm-hmm. like all the special effects and everything that they can do with that storytelling, but more Ender's Game, more um, Ready Player One-ish, you know what I mean? So I felt like it was Disney's attempt at kind of like mashing those franchises together. And if they had any 
uh, if they could do it, this might be the franchise to do it with. It's tough because you made a great point. You know, they're going after this kind of Harry Potter style of franchise. They want the next studios want the next Harry Potter. Like we've seen that with a bunch of franchises. They tried it with Percy Jackson. It didn't work. They tried it with Disney even tried it with the Chronicles of Narnia, which began to work and then sputtered out. And now coincidentally, they're remaking uh, Chronicles of Narnia. Um, So Artemis Fell, it's just there's so many red flags, and I think it nailed it. Harry Potter, trying to be the next Harry Potter, it's hard to do. You're adapting a book that not a lot of people know. It's a hard-to-adapt material. Um, and, and once again, that August release date always gives me red flags, especially when you're trying to start a franchise. That That's just... It, to start a franchise in August is one of the toughest things you can do. It only worked for Guardians of the Galaxy is because they slapped the Marvel Studios name on it. You can't slap Disney on everything and hope it does well. We've learned that with A Wrinkle in Time. We learned that with The Nutcracker. We learned that with John Carter, Tomorrowland. Um, so there's a lot of red flags with Artemis Fowl. I hope it's good because I love Kenneth Branagh. I love Judy Dench. I love Josh Gad. Um, but, it, but it's... I'm not hopeful. I'll say that. Mm. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on that one for certain because, like I said, if there's any hope for them to start that Harry Potter-ish franchise, this might be it if it's done right. No, no, absolutely. Okay, so jumping to November, we have Frozen 2. Yeah, Frozen 2. Not a lot is known on this movie. Um, There is a leaked image. I don't know if you've seen it. It's been circulating. We did. Um, we saw that on the Diz Insider Twitter account. Um, yeah, so that, <laughs> I don't know if you guys noticed last year. Last year, some leaked solo art came out from a Russian uh, licensing company. Disney will usually license out their material to a, a, a company like this, and they'll put stuff together for like calendars. Usually starts in Europe and then makes its way to the U.S. Well, they did it now with Frozen 2. This ends up being uh, legit, very early concept art of Frozen 2. Um Anyways, not a lot is known on the story. There's some new additions, Sterling K. Brown and Evan Rachel Wood. There's some stuff. If you go to the Diz Insider, there's some stuff there that that I might know a little more additionally that I won't say on the podcast for those that don't want to be spoiled. But um, very, I have uh, Sterling K. Brown might be the villain. I believe there's a male villain in the film. We don't really know too much about it. I'm gonna go on. I'm gonna go on record right now. I like Frozen. Here's the pro- and I've said this before. Frozen is fantastic. It's a it's animated very nicely. It's it, there's some beautiful sequences in in Frozen that just look really nice. It, it's the the beginning opening song uh, when they're breaking the ice. Very very Disney to me. That music is such like animated Disney, and that's what I love. I just think a lot of people were just kind of overblown by Let It Go. That kind of hurt the overall movie. Not to mention the short films that were very unnecessary to follow. But Frozen 2, this is a billion-dollar franchise in Disney's hands again. So, you know, people want to see, despite, you know, people saying, oh, Frozen this, Frozen that, people want to see these characters, and, you know, it's proof in the marketing. I know for a fact that I've gone on record as saying that Frozen is not one of my favorite films, but I think I've also said that the music is possibly one of my favorite things. And I've I've gotten some pushback on the fact that I think I like Olaf's Frozen Adventure more than most people do. 
because the songs are just so catchy. I find myself singing a lot of the songs from Olaf's Frozen Adventure more than the ones from Frozen. Like now that I think back on it, I think it was fairly strong, but really it was the fact that they were trying to showcase that mini soundtrack more than the actual film itself or the short that it was. Can't I can't jump on that train you're on with Olaf's Frozen Adventure. <laughs> not many people do. And I'll say this, it had it not have debuted in front of Coco, it should have been its own little yeah. mini special, kind of like the Toy Story shorts. I think I would have been a little bit more okay with it. Agreed. But, <laughs> yeah. but um but maybe that's why. Okay, so <laughs> rounding out the year 2019, just about six months after the opening of Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland, uh, we get Star Wars Episode Nine. Talk about a movie I know nothing about um, <laughs> outside of the cast. Um, they've added Matt Smith from Doctor Who fame. I know. They've added Super Dino excited Ray. about that one, by the way. I've never seen an episode of Doctor Who. I oh, I love it. For it. Um, <laughs> Same. <laughs> Lando Calrissian, uh, Princess Leia is going to have a pivotal role, which will be really nice to see. I'm glad they didn't go the CG route, which was talked about. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that would have been super disrespectful. Um, also think it uh, she shouldn't have been written out. So it's nice to see that she has a pivotal role in closing out the Skywalker you know, saga of Star Wars films. Um, easily going to break the bank. Um, a lot of clout since The Last Jedi. Not a lot of people we're on board with the last Jedi, but I think JJ Abrams is going to steer the ship of what happened with the last Jedi. I think it's going to give us a solid star Wars film. It's going to break records, going to cross a billion, you know, it's a December release. So yeah, I I think star Wars is in good hands and we're going to get more content post, you know, the Skywalker saga. So I think this movie could hit a billion. I don't think it'll hit 2 billion, but it's, it's going to do well. Well, there you go. There is your 2019 film preview for Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, and slash Sony. Uh, If you guys have any questions, you guys can send them to us. Post them in the blog post. Make sure to follow Skyler. Follow him at thedizinsider.com, the Diz Insider Twitter handle. Uh, All of that information will be in the blog post for the episode, podcateers.com slash 237. And we'll post some of the trailers to these films as well if you haven't had a chance to see those. Uh, A lot of them are great. A lot of them just leave a lot to the imagination. But... I think we have a lot of really great stuff to look forward to in 2019. And it it's definitely not going to be a slacker of a year when it comes to major movie franchises. Right. So, all right, everyone. Any final words before we close up this episode? Thank you for having me on, guys. I uh, totally appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Fun. I always love uh, getting together with you guys. Gavin, huge fan of uh, what you do creatively with your artwork. Thank Probably you, sir. Probably one of the... Uh, probably one of the best artists i uh, i follow out there so wow really thank you agreed it's it's wonderful work melissa your stuff is always amazing i love the little decorative uh stuff that you kind of sell on your shop that i need to start buying i need to start buying everything thank you just buying i need to buy i need to work <laughs> on the walls to wrap and hazen you already know i'm a, I'm a huge fan love what you do creatively and uh, i'm glad to uh, be on the show with you guys i appreciate your guys's time well, thanks, man. We appreciate you. having you on. You know, 
like I've told you before, you know, you're you're one of the very few people whose opinion I can trust when it comes to movie reviews because mm-hmm. you don't tend to sugarcoat it and you know what my what my movie stylings are, so you can guide right. me in the right direction. And I, I feel like a lot of your followers and, you know, your listeners, you know, I, I know you've been on another podcast before, you got something coming up this coming year. Uh, so again, all of Skyler's information will be in the blog post for the episode. Make sure to follow him. Tell him hello that we sent you there. And uh, that's it. I think it's time to wrap it up. It might be Sweet. time for tacos for yep. me, though. <laughs> I think I'm hungry again. <laughs> all right, everyone. So that's it. Until next week, keep dreaming, keep moving forward, and always remember to pass along the magic. See you next week, everyone. Thank you so much. Bye. Major look. <laughs>